You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, hello. Very good. There's no H. No H, not hello, it's hello, we've got to practice this, we'll get there. So this morning we're starting a new sermon series called Wesley Say What? And if you've ever uh, gotten into a lot of John Wesley, read some of his sermons or, or, or heard some of his theology, he says some weird things, or to us they sound weird, and partly that's a language barrier that we've got to overcome because this was 300 years ago and language was different, and part of it is, is also a cultural difference, and it's also... Uh, some theological things that maybe we want to think about in 2018 that we maybe haven't thought about much uh, as a Methodist church lately. So we're looking at some of his key teachings. Can't cover all of them, but we'll get through some of them. Now this is where, through John Wesley, this is where the Methodist movement began in the early 1700s. And today we're talking about a particular sermon called The Almost Christian. Now, that title is a little misleading, so we're going to unpack that just a little bit. But to give you some background, and this is important to understand the sermon. This particular sermon was preached in 1741. And by this time, even though he was a young guy, by this time Wesley had already been kicked out of every church in London except for four. (laughs) He was not a particularly popular guy. And you're going to hear some of that over the next four weeks. Some of the things that he taught, some of the things that he called people to be as followers of Christ were, were tough and were difficult, and a lot of churches just flat out didn't like him. Despite only being five foot four and about 130 pounds soaking wet, John Wesley was no lightweight when it came to preaching. Now, I'll also tell you that when Wesley preached, He typically preached for two or three hours at a time. So I hope you're sitting comfortably. (laughs) I've actually condensed this down considerably. I had a clergy colleague of mine when I told them that I was doing the sermon series and and kind of re-preaching four of his sermons. They said, you know, he would probably turn in his grave uh, if he knew that you were doing that. I said, well, he might also turn in his grave if I tried to preach for three hours because uh, I'd be talking to myself. So, so you're welcome uh, for me kind of breaking it down a little bit for you. To give you some context, and I don't want to turn this into a history lesson because I'm not a fan of history, but, but there is some context that's important. Wesley was ordained as a priest in the Anglican Church in 1728. And so a year later, he joined with his brother Charles, the great hymn writer of the Methodist Church, in forming a religious group that was called the Holy Club. Now, this is the name they called themselves because they considered themselves people that were holy. They were very devout and rigorous in their study and their training and their prayer and holding each other accountable. And so this was a small band of people that would hold each other accountable and meet regularly the holy club. But people outside of their group called them those Methodists. It was an insult to be called a Methodist, and partly because they looked at this group of people and they were so methodical in everything that they did that they just thought it was ludicrous that they did as much as they did, and you'll see that this morning. To go back a little further, in 1735, John Wesley left this group to become a minister in Savannah, Georgia. So he traveled from England to this early colony, 
and began to do ministry there, but it did not go well. And I won't get into all of that, but he spent a couple of years here. He was thinking about marrying somebody while he was here, and then he changed his mind, and she married somebody else. And he got so upset with her that he refused to serve her communion one Sunday, and she filed a complaint, and he had some legal problems, and so he ran back to England. (laughs) It's the short version of that story. So he came to the States, he went back home, 1738, and later that year is when he had his conversion experience at Aldersgate, when he felt his heart strangely warmed, and we'll get into that a little bit this morning. But this is kind of what led up to him spending the rest of his life proclaiming this, this salvation by faith, this experience that he had had, and you'll hear that in this sermon this morning. His scripture for this sermon, and usually it's a one-line scripture, and if you know me well by now, you know that I can't just deal with one line of scripture pulled out of thin air. We've got to have some context as to why he used it, but it's Acts 26, 28. To give you a little background, the Apostle Paul has been held in prison for a number of years because of some claims that the high priest Ananias made against him. And then there was a change. Festus got in power and took office in about the year 60 and called for a hearing. He wanted to hear why Paul was being held. And so Paul, instead of answering to that hearing, said, no, I want to talk directly to King Agrippa. And so they allowed this hearing, and this hearing is recorded in chapter 26 of Acts. Paul gives his testimony. He gives all these reasons why he's being held in prison, why he believes what he believes, and talks about his transformation that began on that road to Damascus. You've read the story elsewhere in Acts. And so we arrive at chapter 26, verse 28. Let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. Agrippa said to Paul, Are you so quickly persuading me to become a Christian? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So before we get deep into what Wesley actually said in the sermon, let me give you one more snippet of information that is important to hold on to. Anyone who preaches the Word of God or teaches Sunday school, you have to remember that all of our lives are affected by the journey that we've been on, our own faith journey. It's affected by our own life experiences, so things that happen to us just in day-to-day life. And all of these things color our sermons and our theology and the way that we understand God. And this is true for Wesley. So as we hear this sermon, bear in mind that Wesley's conversion experience happened three years earlier than when he preached this sermon. Because until then, until 1738, Wesley really struggled with his faith. And you'll see that in a little bit. So, let's jump in. The almost Christian is one who knows right from wrong, justice from injustice. He feeds the hungry. He gives to those in need. He does nothing that the gospel forbids. He acts by the plain rule. Don't do to another what you would not want them to do to you. He does what he can with all of his might for friends or for enemies. He instructs, he comforts, he leads those who God has awakened, he stirs up those who are saved, and he adorns the gospel of Christ in all things. Sounds good, doesn't it? He keeps going. 
He uses the means of grace, which for Wesley are works of piety and works of mercy, and we've talked about that before. He uses them, all of them, at every opportunity. And he constantly frequents the house of God. Now, I love this. I couldn't say this, but I'm quoting Wesley, so it's fine. Not as some do with costly apparel, (laughs) not gazing about, not asleep, We good so far? Not in a most convenient posture, not talking, not looking around. No, he behaves with seriousness and attention. And when he approaches the Lord's table, he does so with an attitude that says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Still sounds good, doesn't it? The almost Christian has sincerity an inward principle of religion from which outward actions flow, has a real desire to serve God, to please God in all things, to do good, to avoid evil, to attend on all the ordinances of God. Now, you might have heard that before, Wesley's general rule. That's where it came from. To avoid evil, do good, and attend on the ordinances of God. And the ordinances of God are worship, prayer, fasting, communion, and study. It is possible, says Wesley, to do all of these things, but still be an almost Christian. And it's here that Wesley tells his own personal story, his own testimony, his own conversion experience at Aldersgate, because we have to bear in mind that the one sharing God's word also has their own story that colors their own theology. And so Wesley says that for many years he avoided evil, he took every opportunity to do good, had a real desire to serve God, but, and I quote, as my own conscience bears witness with the Holy Spirit, I was but almost a Christian. John Wesley's definition of an almost Christian sounds like one that most of us could only aspire to be. And even that's not good enough, which is why we need to remember the context, because that's not really Wesley's point. Prior to Aldersgate, this is who John Wesley was. Despite all of his intellectual knowledge, he was educated at Oxford, he was rigorous in his studies, we'll get to that a little later, he knew something was missing. And it highlights the beginning of Wesley's theology that follows him the rest of his life. That faith is something we are always growing into. Faith is something we're always working on. We have to do our part constantly. We can't stop. We can't stand still. We have to keep seeking after God. But God also does God's part through grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we talk about three different kinds of grace, and we'll get to these a little later, but his provenient grace, justifying grace, and sanctifying grace. God is always active in our lives. Now, what heavily influences this particular sermon and his idea of being an almost Christian is what happened to him in 1735. And I mentioned to you, this is when he traveled to Savannah, Georgia, to begin a ministry at the colony there. This is six years before this sermon. And it was a three-month journey 
on a boat from England, from Gravesend in England, to Savannah, Georgia. And he describes in his journal the day, and there were several days that this happened, but a particular day that a storm came. And while others were sitting over in the corner and they were studying God's word and they were praying together and they were singing hymns, Wesley feared for his life. A journal entry from January of 1736. Here's what he says about that day. I lay down in the great cabin, and in a short time I fell asleep. Though very uncertain whether I should wake alive, and much ashamed of my unwillingness to do so. How is it that I have no faith? The man who has devoted his life to being educated about all things to do with God, theology, history, he's got it all together, and he realizes he really doesn't have faith at all. You can see where this idea of being an almost Christian came from. But another piece of information, because all things color our theology, is when Wesley was growing up, one of 19 children, he was homeschooled by his mother. And his mother's way of educating her children was you wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning, you study all day long until it's 9 or 10 o'clock at night and time to go to bed because you're exhausted, but all throughout the day, typically before you were allowed to eat, There were tests given to see if you had learned what you were supposed to learn. This is part of Wesley's upbringing. You think you have it bad today. (laughs) This is how he was raised, but it's also part of who he is. If I just study more, if I just study something different, if if I'm more devoted than I was yesterday, maybe I'll have this faith that I'm lacking. For Wesley, the altogether Christian, what we're all striving to be, is number one, someone who has the love of God. A love that uses the whole heart and fills the entire capacity of the soul. Number two is one who loves his neighbor, who is his neighbor, everybody in the whole world. And he uses 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to describe what that looks like, what it means to love neighbor. And the third thing that he would say about the altogether Christian, this is probably the most important one, is he says this, the right and true Christian is not only to believe that Scripture and the articles of faith are true, but has a sure trust and confidence to be saved by Christ. It is a sure trust and confidence that by the merits of Christ, his sins are forgiven and he is reconciled to the favor of God with a loving heart to obey his commands. In other words, the difference between an almost Christian and an altogether Christian is the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. For Wesley, the altogether Christian has a trust, has an assurance that his sins are forgiven, that he's reconciled to God, and can then live out the rest of his days growing in that faith and growing in that assurance and helping other people to get there. Because for Wesley, he knows there was a time in his life, a pretty good chunk of his life, 
that that was not true. Not until Aldersgate, where he says this, and you've probably heard this before. I felt that I did trust in Christ, in Christ alone for salvation. And assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Whoever has this faith, says Wesley, is not almost but is altogether a Christian. In other words, it's not just about the idea that God offers salvation. It's not about studying how that works. It's about knowing that God can and God will offer salvation. He goes into detail about that in a whole separate sermon that we won't get into. But as with many of his sermons, Wesley ends this particular sermon with a series of questions. Now, typically what Wesley does is you have your introduction, you have the meat of his argument, and then at the end he throws a whole bunch of questions at you just to get you to think about what he said. So here's some of these questions from this particular sermon. Are you of that number? Do you practice justice, mercy, and truth? Do you use all the ordinances of God at all opportunities? Do you love every man, even your enemies, as Christ has loved you? Does God's Spirit bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? Is the love of God shed abroad in your heart? Now, Wesley wasn't the first one to say this particular thing, but he mentions in his sermon that hell is paved with good intentions. And what he means by that is it's not good enough to desire to have a relationship with God. It's not good enough to to say, I really want to have this awakening of my heart. I really want to have this assurance. What Wesley is calling people to do is the things that will get you there. To do these, these acts of piety, to draw closer to God, to be involved in works of mercy, in loving neighbor, to attend on all the ordinances of God, to worship, to pray, to fast, all these different things. Do all of these things at every opportunity and eventually, over time, as you seek God, your heart will change. Your heart will be strangely warmed, however you define that. Specifically, Wesley says it this way. Do all of those things as often as you can until you can say, my Lord and my God. And notice there that he's quoting Thomas, the one who doubts if Christ really is risen from the dead. And then when Christ appears, he knows that it is true. He overcomes those questions. Now, since Wesley is quoting from the book of Acts, it's not a coincidence that the lives of Wesley and the Apostle Paul line up in a lot of ways. Remember Paul's testimony before King Agrippa, he's focusing on this transformation that takes place in his life. From a man who follows the law, believes he's doing all the right things, very well educated, just like Wesley, but he has this moment on this road to Damascus where Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? 
And that's the beginning of his transformation to being a devoted follower of Christ for the rest of his life and eventually gives up his life in Rome. How similar that is to the life of John Wesley who holds on to this Aldersgate experience, this moment when his heart was awakened for God for the first time. And he devotes his life, the rest of his entire life, to riding by horse in whatever weather he has to deal with, preaching outdoors because churches won't have him, preaching on his father's gravestone. Wherever a group of people will gather, Wesley is there. And it's amazing to me if you read his journal that Wesley, with no sound system, no anything to equip him, no choir, preaches to 10, 15, 20,000 people at a time. People gather to hear this story of faith, to hear this man whose heart is awakened to God and he wants to tell everybody about it and he's willing to demonstrate that. To give you some idea, on that boat going to Georgia. Here's an example from his journal of Wesley's typical day as he searched for God. 4 a.m., prayer. 5 a.m., Bible study. 7 a.m., breakfast. 8 a.m., prayer. 9 a.m. to noon, learn German. Noon, meetings. 1 p.m., meal, 2 p.m., study, 4 p.m., evening prayers, 5 p.m., private prayers, 6 p.m., read scripture, 7 p.m., worship, 8 p.m., instruct other people, and 10 p.m., go to bed. This was Wesley's schedule as as he tried to find this assurance of faith. If I just study more, if I just learn more, maybe I'll get it. All of this, and Wesley says, I was but almost a Christian. His point is that the almost Christian may do all of these things and still be missing this element of faith that changes us. The altogether Christian has the love of God shed abroad in their heart and has an assurance of their faith, not just knowing what they believe. He didn't like creeds, for example but having an assurance that what they believe is real and is alive and is true and is transformational, that God can and will do what he says he will do. And this journey of faith is what Wesley calls the journey towards Christian perfection. Being aware that God is working with us all the time, Provenient grace that goes before us, before we even know who God is, God is working in our lives. Justifying grace, this moment in which our hearts are transformed and awakened to to a new knowledge of God, that God is not just some distant, out there kind of figure, but God is within us. That we can experience God, and God will restore our relationship to wholeness. And then there's sanctifying grace, in which the Holy Spirit molds us and changes us and transforms us into the image of Christ. And Wesley would say it is possible to achieve Christian perfection in this lifetime. And we'll get to that next week. Hear one more quote from Wesley himself. May we all experience 
what it is to be not almost but altogether a Christian, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus, knowing we have a peace with God through Christ, rejoicing in hope of the glory of God and having the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that is given to us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious, holy, merciful God, as we strive to know you, help us. Help us to seek you out in all places at all times. Help us not be distracted by the things of this world that pull us in a different direction, but help us to be devoted followers of Christ. To seek a knowledge beyond our heads, but into our hearts. That we might love you, we might love our neighbor with every bone of our being. Until we have an assurance that you can and you will do all the things that you have said that you will do. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.